Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Morning. The video was put out by the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, and it portrayed the early, the early days of persecution of the Voice of the Martyrs founder, and that was Richard and uh, Sabina Wormbrand. They were in Romania. They were Romanian. They're at uh, the start of World War II, we saw in, in the video. Wormbrand was Romanian. And there was that little scene where he said, I've always been Romanian. Now I'm marked as a Jew. But his wife said, we're Christian, really. They were Romanian, but ethnically they were Jewish. Richard Wormbrand was raised an atheist. But he came to Christ. He came to Christ, and it's a fascinating story in his late 20s. He suffered from tuberculosis. He was recovering, and uh, he went up to a village in Romania to help with his recovery. And he turned to Christ when a Bible was given to him by an old carpenter in a small Romanian village. And that carpenter had been praying, God, use me. God, I, I, I want you to put somebody in my life that I can tell about Jesus. And Wormbrand uh, wrote in one of his books, it was called Tortured for Christ. He wrote this, something irresistible drew me to that village. I had no reason to go there. Romania has 12,000 villages, but I went to that one. The carpenter saw me as an answer to his prayer and gave me a Bible to read. I could barely read it. Comparing my bad life with the life of Jesus, my impurity with his righteousness, my hate with his love. And there was more in his description about how he wept over the pages of that Bible. And he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. And that carpenter had been praying. And we're going to talk more about prayer today. Wormbrand come to Christ. His wife soon followed. And they became passionate Christians. Richard Wormbrand became a pastor. And during World War II, he and his wife helped uh, Jewish children who were living in ghettos, whose parents had been uh, taken to concentration camps. Soon after the war in 1948, he was arrested. He was imprisoned uh, because he had been a pastor and he was very outspoken. He didn't back down against the communist regime that told him that he couldn't talk about Jesus Christ. And he, he uh, was just saying, I'm going to talk about Jesus regardless of the restrictions of the communist government that had, that had just come down so hard upon the church. He ended up spending eight and a half years in prison. He was released for just, uh, uh, turned out a short period of time, a couple of years, because when he was released, though he was warned, don't go back to preaching Christ. 
We read about this same kind of treatment in the New Testament to the, the first apostles of the church. Don't be talking about Jesus. Well, Wormbrand went directly back to preaching Jesus Christ, and so he went back to prison. And this time he was brutally tortured. He was tortured both physically and mentally. He spent three years in solitary confinement where he was in a, a cell that was 12 feet below the earth, no windows, one single light bulb that burned 24 hours a day, and the guards walked with felt shoes just so that the prisoners would be in abject silence. They used that to torture them. They used then recordings 24 hours a day. It was just brutal, and they beat him. They tortured him. He was released during an amnesty in 1964, and he had been told his wife had been imprisoned, his son had been imprisoned, he believed his son wouldn't be able to make it because he had health problems. He thought they, that, that his son was likely dead. His wife and child were told that he was dead, but he was able to be reunited with them in Bucharest. His friends told him, Richard, you can't stay in this country. They're going to kill you. So they helped him. He was ransomed. The government was paid to allow him to leave he went to Norway, England, ultimately the U.S., where he and his wife and his son, they dedicated their lives, and they started that Voice of the Martyrs ministry all to help persecuted Christians who live around the world. And since that time, and we saw in the video, times have changed, governments have changed, but persecution still exists. In, it's in different countries, it's in different ways, but it is still life-threatening to so, so many. It's a reality. It's an unfortunate reality. But it's a reality that began when the church began. And it continues to this day. And I want to look back this morning on an account from the New Testament, an account of the early church. The, the first Christians in the book of Acts. And to look at the, the church the church that was persecuted and how it responded. Now we can respond the same way today. This church was in the city of Jerusalem, the first church. And if you read the book of Acts, you know thousands turned to Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And it stunned the Jewish establishment. Persecution followed. Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, he was stoned to death. We know that Paul of Tarsus stood over him and approved of his death. And why was Stephen stoned? For his faith in Jesus Christ. More intimidation followed, more suffering followed. The church in Jerusalem was fractured. Its people were scattered. They were forced to leave their home. They were forced to leave their city. They went to different cities. They moved abroad. They were forced to leave because they were facing abuse even death. We move forward into Acts, Acts chapter 11. Those who had been scattered by persecution, it says, it was persecution that broke out after Stephen was killed. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And then Acts chapter 12 continues the account. And I want to read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 12. It begins, it was about this time. 
And it was about the time where the church was being persecuted mercilessly. The people had scattered. That's the reference. About this time, when the persecution really started hard, that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and what what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now this account occurred when the church in Jerusalem was still a young church, just about 13 years old. It's young. It's new. And already people were being persecuted. They were being killed for following Jesus. Stephen had been stoned to death and the Jewish leaders were approving. This passage we read, King Herod had James. This was John's brother, the son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' closest followers. He had him executed. And this was King Herod called Herod Agrippa. And this is Agrippa I. He's different than the Agrippa at the end of the book of Acts. He was uh, the third Herod in the the New Testament. He was a friend of Rome. He had soldiers, we read. He had authority to use them. He had executed James, saw that it pleased the Jews and, and their leaders. So what did he do? Well, let's do more. Let's keep them happy. He had Peter arrested. Planned a trial. We know he was planning to persecute him. That's what it it says in the opening lines of Acts 12. He intended persecution. Well, he planned this trial. And to show some feigned faithfulness to Judaism, he wasn't a good Jew. But he said, oh, I'll wait till after the Passover. Let them have their feast. And then we'll put Peter up on trial. Of course, it would be a total sham trial. And... No doubt it would be, he'd be convicted and executed. Now to be sure he wouldn't escape, 16 guards, four squads of four were set to watch over Peter. 
I don't know if persecution is a strong enough word for what they were experiencing. This was ruthless. It was cruel. It was brutal. The leaders of the church were killed. They were arrested. The Christians in Jerusalem were fleeing. They had to just drop drop their, their place of residence. They had to just leave and flee. They became refugees in new lands. We have in this account an image, a picture that stands today. And it's an image that depicts the two sides, wickedness and righteousness, evil and good, hate and love. And on the side of hate, on the side of hate was Herod, his collaboration with Rome, his power, his soldiers at his disposal, the authority that he had to just say, execute that person. His corrupt agenda. And there have been leaders like this. There have been governments like this. There have been these Herods in every single era, every single culture. They're corrupt. They're oppressive. They're tyrannical. And history just tells us about them. Over and over again, just a few examples. In the fourth century, there was the emperor Diocletian. And he was a Roman emperor. He issued a series of edicts that were all about eliminating Christianity. Churches were destroyed. People were killed. The scriptures were burned. And this is how they executed the Christians. It was a pretty popular way after they lost their legal rights. Burn them alive. That's how they they dealt with the Christians there. Move forward in history into the 17th century in France. There was a group called the Huguenots. They were Protestants, mostly Calvinists. And King Louis XIV took away their legal rights. Thousands were killed. Many more had to flee France. In the 20th century, communism, we saw in this video, tried to create the godless state. If you read some of Richard Wormbrand's books, Tortured for Christ or Christ in the Communist communist Prisons, that, that will raise the hair on the back of your neck. What they did to people, what one human could do to another because they believed in Jesus and simply wanted them to worship the state, the cruelty It's hard to read, and yet they did it. These people like Richard and Sabina suffered under these types of regimes in the the 20th century. They had gulags, the work camps, the prisons. They were used to break people's spirits, force these souls to acknowledge the state. Now, what do we have in this generation? We saw at the, the end of that video, it continues. We've got... Islamic terrorism, we still have communism in the world. There's post-communism regimes and oppressions. There's ethnic clan against clan in some countries. There's paranoid dictators that want to eliminate all faith. Now, some specific, uh, specifically target Christians. There's no doubt about that. Some just want to wipe out Christianity. Others, they want to wipe out every form of faith there is. 
every form of religion. What do we do? What do we do as Christians? And that's the other side of the image. That's the other side of this X12 image. But on the one side is the hate, the corruption, the oppression, the brutal, brutal power, the evil, and all the unrighteousness. But on the other side is Jesus. And it's his love and his righteousness. And in mankind's economy, you know, the Christian is weak. The Christian is feeble and an easy target. The Herods of the world with their soldiers and their power and their chains and their prison cells, they, they can come down hard on who they see as feeble. And what do we as Christians have? What do, what do we Christians do? It's Acts 12, verse 5. When Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And we know what occurred when the church earnestly prayed. Herod was likely scheming to make a spectacle of Peter, put him uh, before a, a sham trial, and then execute him like he had done James. In Herod's eyes, Peter was as good as dead, already gone. But the church was earnestly praying. Christians were earnestly praying. Herod had all the say. Herod had all the sway. But the church was earnestly praying. I don't know that I can say that enough. It didn't matter that it was Peter's last night. It did not matter. They had no earthly power to rescue Peter. They had no earthly power to overcome a guard on either side of him, double-chained, locked in a cell. It didn't matter that in the eyes of the world, Peter had no hope. The Christians were earnestly praying. Their reliance was not on man. Their reliance was on God. They trusted God like those three Hebrews who stood before the, the blazing furnace of King Nebuchadnezzar hundreds and hundreds of years before. He was a different kind of Herod. Tyrannical, power-hungry, built this gold image of himself and said, bow down and worship it. And those three Hebrew men said no. And they said, we serve a God who is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship your image. We will not worship the state. And can we say the same? Can we pray the same? I know I've never, ever experienced anything like that. I don't think most of us have. Most of us have never experienced standing at the edge of our very life because of our faith in Jesus Christ. These men were standing at the face of a furnace. Or Peter, who was bound, imprisoned, guarded because of his faith. If we were born and raised here in the United States, we've enjoyed luxuries. We've enjoyed privilege. We've enjoyed things that many, many Christians around the world have never, ever been able 
to enjoy. We've enjoyed the freedom to worship. We've enjoyed the, the freedom to pray openly without the fear of death. Someone might call you a weirdo. That's about it. A few weeks ago, Pastor Barry arranged for us to visit a mission, a local mission in Dearborn. It was serving, it is serving refugee people from the Mideast. And we met a young woman there. And she was overjoyed to be in the United States. She was from a Mideastern country. She was raised in a, a very observant Islamic family. She had a, by all accounts, a good life. She had a good job, but someone at her job shared Jesus and gave her a Bible. Like Wormbrand said about the Bible and the word of God and the power in it. This young woman was moved by the love of Jesus Christ and she turned her life over to him. She kept that to herself for a little while, but then she confided in someone close and her entire family heard of her conversion. So there was an effort to convince her to turn back to Islam. And this is what happened. Men were hired to rape her. Her bones were broken. And she needed to get out. She knew it was very close to her last day. And in the face of that, she had become stricken with doubt. She asked, was Jesus even real? And then she said, I cried out to Jesus. And this woman received a miracle. I can't tell you all the details of how it occurred, but I know this in her most desperate hour. She thought it was going to be her last through no doing of her own. Every legal document came into place everything she needed to enter the U.S. Everything was signed. Everything was secured. It was miraculously expedited in a matter of hours. And she was put on a plane to the United States where she landed not knowing a single person and didn't know a single word of English. She's only been here a few short years and she told us her story in very understandable English. She's working. She has her own place. And we just witnessed this heart that loved Jesus so much. And all she wanted to do was help others who had experienced this kind of persecution. Help the people that were suffering because of Jesus. How can we help? How can we help here when we're so far away? We can pray earnestly. We can pray earnestly. As Peter laid in that prison... At his last hour, the church prayed earnestly. Today's been called the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And I ask, will you pray? Will you be this water to these people that are in these desert, desert, dry areas, if you will. If you, you take in the image of that Joshua tree, will you be the water to them? Will you pray? If you search online just for open doors watch list, open doors watch list, you'll find a list of 50 countries where it's 
most difficult to openly follow Jesus. I read about some of those countries, and it's just so humbling because we have it so, so good here. And I know this is called the International Day of Prayer for persecuted Christians. But one day of prayer for the body of Christ that's hurting and persecuted, it's just woefully little. And you might think, well, what's the use anyway? In one country, they're, they're living under some ruthless dictator. In another, the Taliban has taken over and it's hopeless. And that's the way it seemed for Peter, right? He was in two chains. He was locked in a prison cell. He had a guard on either side. Two guards outside at the gate. But the church was earnestly praying. We live in this land of comfort. And we all enjoy liberties. And I think sometimes we just feel entitled to them too. We take them for granted. There are other Christians across the globe who never ever experience or possess these things that we take for granted. They live under the rule of a Herod. It's a Herod of the 21st century and they suffer for Jesus. And yet we see in this video smiles, people saying there, there is a revival occurring in our church, a church where the government has set up facial recognition cameras so that they can persecute people. Well, there's a revival going on in our church. They serve Jesus. They serve others while risking their very lives. And they serve knowing they might face death. Let's not forget them. and Let's not just take a day to pray. November is, is marked as a month to remember persecuted Christians. But how about we make it January through December and just keep in mind people who have it way different than us. When we, when we rail against our government for this or that, remember how it is for others. And I'm not saying we, we don't be informed or that we just roll over. But no, let's not forget those in the other parts of the world. Let's not forget them. Let's remember them. Today, this month, every month. Oh, God. God, I just pray, I pray the Holy Spirit invades every heart in this sanctuary, every heart joining us. God, that your Holy Spirit would burn within us a desire to draw close to you, to pray for those whom we can't see, those beyond these walls and other places that are being beaten, tortured, imprisoned because they simply believe that your son died for us. God, I pray that we would have hearts that would pray that we would be a church that would earnestly pray and pray for those who are in prison for you and are bound because of you. God, I pray that we would have hearts to do that. 
God, anyone who is at these altars, anyone who is at their seat right now, and they're saying, I need that, God. I need to be more aware. I need to be less concerned about myself. I need to be praying greater and more for those who need these prayers. God, I pray that you would just pour into each one. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength, God. Give us the reminders that we need, Lord, to look to you and to pray and to ask because we know whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You can free people that we can't see. We heard in that, from those persecuted people, prayer is the core, the man said. Prayer is the core. When you don't know what to do, pray. God, when we don't know what to do, remind us to pray. When it seems the world's falling apart, when dictators are taken over, when clan goes against clan, when people die because of you, God, help us. And remind us to look to you and pray and be a people that earnestly pray. Thank you for that, God. Thank you. Pour into us, Lord. Help us. And God, we do right now remember and pray for these people that are suffering and serving you to the point of death. God, we see in these places like China where they have facial recognition just in order to persecute people. God, help them. Help those churches. Thank you that, that a man could say our church has is, is experienced revival. Lord, thank you for the smiling faces we saw of people who are under oppression. Thank you, God. Help them. Help them. Lord, the man said, they don't want the burden lifted. No, they want the, the grace to be able to stand in the face of the hurt and the pain. God, give them the strength. That man asked for the strength to stand. He didn't ask for the oppression to be lifted or the persecution to be lifted. He asked for the strength to stand. God, give him the strength. Lord, for all those who are in other places who are suffering way, way more than we ever know, God, give them the strength to stand. Help them. Lord, remind us today to join with others across the globe to pray for persecuted Christians. But tomorrow and the next day and the next day, keep it before us, God. Keep it before us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Now bless your people, Lord, I pray. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes our understanding keep every heart and mind and soul through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.